We are up to Nun Gimel. This is Ein Yaakov. And we are continuing the story of Mesha's burial. Tanya says in a brace, Rebbe Lezer, Hagadol Emer, he says, Shnei Masar Mil, Shnei Masar Mil, Kenegin Machne Yisrael, Haya Baskal Mashmi of Emer, Viyamas Mesha Safra Rabbi the Yisrael. So we were still talking about, remember earlier, it's been a while since we did this, but last time we talked about this, we were talking about the eulogy that Hashem gave Mesha, the eulogy that Hashem, that the Malachim gave Mesha. We're continuing Al Derech, the eulogy, and saying that there's a slightly different version of this, that a Baskal, a voice from heaven rang out across the 12 meal by 12 meal of the camp of the Jewish people, shouting out, Aviyamas Mesha, that Mesha has died, the Safra Rabbi de Yisrael, the great Sefer, the great teacher of the Jewish people. Every time we do anything with uh, these measurements, I always feel like I can't picture it, so I finally do have a rule of thumb for those of you who struggle with meal. I've always struggled with meal. A rule of thumb is that a meal is a little bit more than half a mile. The truth is it's probably like 0.7 miles, but if we just want to... Uh, well, I, but I don't think in kilometers. I need, like a, I need a reference point for my head. If you want a reference point, you can borrow mine. It's a little more than half a mile. So maybe 0.7 miles, a little more than half a mile. So that would mean that, uh, that 12 mil by 12 mil would be what? 7 by 7. No, that's 1 mil by 1 mil. No, 7 by 7 miles. Yeah? I believe, if, if, if Mendel says so. No, you said it's around 0.7. It's around 0.7. There's 12 of them, not so 10. It's about 7.5 or 8. Okay. If it makes you happy. Anyway, over a great distance. That's the same size of the Machane Yisrael. There's a Ben Yeyada. I didn't write it in my notes, but it's a fun Ben Yeyada. He says that since Meisha represents the entire Jewish people, the Baskal would go out over this distance of a size of the camp of the Jewish people because it's calling out to Meisha or about Meisha. And here we have a camp that represents the Jewish people, and Meisha is the Jewish people. Okay, continuing. This is a very popular one. Are we, and nobody in the room looks excited. All the, no, not, no, there we go. Okay, thank you. Now there is a Yeshemrim that Mesha never died. Ksiv, Achav Yamasha Mesha says over there. Just, guys, this, there are those of you who should be cuffing in this. Ksiv, Achav says over here, Yamasha Mesha, the Mesha died there. Ksiv, Hasim says in another place, says that he was Sham over there 40 days and 40 nights. Malalan, Shamish, Afkan, Shamish. The same way that over there when he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, he was standing and serving Hashem, so too, v'yamas sham meisha, yeah, v'yamas, but sham meisha, he was there, he's emed, umeshamesh, he's still alive, he didn't die. There are, uh, there's of course a lot of chassidus on this, I want to point out one that's a little bit less conventional, just because the conventional ones are well known, so here's one a little bit less conventional, in Teres Menachem, volume 11, page 29, the Rebbe says that since every nasi of every generation puts everything else aside and takes care of his flock exclusively, that means that, uh, and of course because he has to be mashpia to them, he has to connect them to, uh, connect them to atzmos, uh, everything in atzitzava, because of that, every nasi is still emin mishamish. every nasi, every nasi is still emin mishamish. every single one going all the way back to Reish, Meshur Rebbein is emin mishamish. why? Because they their people are not, are not yet in Geula. So as long as these people have not yet reached Geula, every Nasi stands and continues to serve the people who they're responsible for serving. The Rebbe says this is why Nesiei Chabad specifically were always buried around their people, around their flock, why they chose to be buried in a place where their people were, because they're still Eminem Shamish and they're responsible for those people in that area, whereas a lot of people, uh, a lot of great Rebbeim, a lot of great Geonim, they end up in Eretz Yisrael, far away from where, where their uh, communities were and where their people were. The Nesiei Chabad were always very specific about being where their people were, because Afkanim and Mishamish. So just a slightly different take on this idea than what we usually see. Continuing right along, huh? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Chabad was everywhere? What do you mean? Like now? In Russia, I mean, the, the Rebbeim always chose to be, always chose to have their plots be by their people. There were certainly many, many leaders who choose to uh, leave their people behind, to go to Israel to be buried there. I don't mean to knock them at all, but I'm saying there's a difference between a Nasi and everybody else. 
And uh, that's, that doesn't have to be a ranking. It's a difference, though. There's a, there's a marked difference between the Nasi in every generation and the big Rabbanim of every generation. A Nasi stays with his people, always. <coughs> because he's Emin Mashamish, right? Okay, so they buried Meshit in a guy. They buried him in a valley. In the land of Meav, Mul Beispar, right against Beispar. We did big Avedas in Beispar. There is a sign within a sign here. A sign within a sign. That is, he's in a guy in Eretz Meav, and he's across the Beispar. These are great road directions. If you can't find his kever at this point, you're just not trying hard enough, right? He gives you a Simen Beseich Simen. Nonetheless, no one seems to be able to figure out where he's buried. Can you imagine? You tell somebody that something's at the corner of Pomona and Galileo, and then you give them another sign that it's also right across from Elaine's house at the corner, and they still can't find my house. They're missing Simen Beseich Simen, and then they still can't find my house. Nonetheless, we had Yishis Kvodase, huh? Is that in the Oh, is in the Chelik of God? It's a good question. We asked it last time. I don't know the answer. L'chaira, l'chaira, because that's what the Gemara said earlier. The evil kingdom, huh? Right, you would have to think it's in the Chelik Shel God, because that's where he's buried. So a evil king has already sent out people to try to find this place. And he said, show me where Mesh is buried. So they went up the mountain. You've heard this, Mesh, but it's fun to read inside. They went up to the top of the mountain where they saw Mesh. Oh, Mesh is up there. They ran up to the top of the mountain. Oops, he's down there. We missed him. We walked past his burial spot. So then they went, Lamata. They walked back down to find him. Oops, he's up there now. They couldn't catch him. They go, we're going to get him, though. They split into two groups. Two groups. One group. One group goes up. One group goes down. The group that is standing up, they see him as down. Down. Those who are standing down, they see him as above. They can't find him. He doesn't, I'm sure you have an essay on this, and if you don't yet, then there should be one by the Shabbos. This is such a you topic, you know? Doesn't this strike, this strikes to your, this strikes to your favorite area to write about? I'm talking to Dr. Polterak, who is at quantumtorah.com. Um, <laughs> Never this is to fulfill that which it says, this is to fulfill the Pasuk that says that even to this day, no one knows where Meshrebenu is buried. Nobody knows where he's buried. Even Meshrebenu doesn't know where he's buried. It says, no man knows where Mesh is buried. Meshrebenu is called the Ish Halakim. So the Ish, even that Ish, even Meshrebenu himself, has no idea where he's buried. He says, why bury him against base You know, people nowadays, they always try to find great plots like as close as possible to the Rebbe. Where they put poor Meshul Next to an idol. They put him next to base Pur. What's he doing over there? In order to atone for Maise In order to atone for the Avedas that we did by Pur. Let's talk some commentary. Mul is over against. That's the way Rashi says it. Over against. Directly across from. So is that the, is that the plot you want? Directly across from base Pur? I don't think so. It's not, not the most desirable plot in the cemetery. No, it's not, nothing's going to happen to you. Mashiach's coming. But, you know, in theory, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a segula for to pick a plot. They have to stay there. They never sell them, you know? How do you sell a plot otherwise? <laughs> it's, a, it's a sales technique. It's also a tried and tested segula. Buy a plot today. Okay. Uh, I have in Teres Menachem, this is from the year Tavshin Mem Tes, volume 2, page 398, that the Rebbe says that on the day of his death, Meish should have been ascended so high that he reached the level of Kesser. At that level, he transcends space and time. So because of that, the place where he was buried also transcends space and time, so it literally doesn't take up space. Which, once again, if this does not become an essay, we are all going to be disappointed. So he was both, uh, he's both above, he's also below, he's at a level above time and above space, and that's why nobody can find his Kevin. This is what the Rebbe says in Tavshin Mem Tes. Now, why, I'm in a why bury him against base Pur? We have a couple of approaches here. One is the Marsha. The Marsha says that the whole reason that the Gemara tells us that he's buried against base Pur is just to explain why he wasn't buried in 
Eretz Yisrael when he was alive, because the whole idea that he wasn't allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael, that was a gezerah on his living body. No reason why he, when he passed, especially since he's dying outside of Eretz Yisrael and being moved from one place to another by the Kanfei Shechina, may as well fly him into Israel. Why are you stopping here? And the answer is, L'chaper al-Besper. That's when the Marsha understands this Gemara. There is an incredible Tesvis here, and I copied it because it's not, I can't find it in these books, I didn't have to open a Gemara, but there is a Tesvis. The Tesvis here says that there's a Medjish Agada, that every single year, at the same exact time that the Jewish people sinned with the daughters of Meav, at that moment, Beis Pe'er rises up out of the ground. So this idol rises out of the ground and looks around and decides it wants to be Mekatrik. In order to be Mekatrik, in order to be a prosecutor, and to mention Aravera. So Beis Pe'er rises up out of the ground and comes to attack the Jewish people on the same time, same day, every year that we did the Aver of Beis Pe'er. When that happens, Meish Rabbeinu, who is apparently buried up to his nose, he is a Shekeh Meish Rabbeinu Shekua Bekarka Ad Chetmei. Meish Rabbeinu is buried up to his nose right there. He rises up a little bit, glares at Bob Hur, and Bob Hur goes, oops, never mind, and gets back down. So Meisher Rabbeinu is standing there, Vanguard, this is a tesis. Tesis is that Bob Hur rises up out of the ground, and he says, he thinks every time he comes up, Meisher's not going to be there this time, and drat every single time. There's Nian Yaakov, who says, this is the whole reason why the evil kings wanted to find Meisher Rabbeinu's kever. Because if Meisher Rabbeinu is someone who can protect you from Peronus by being there, that means no one can be Makachig when you're next to Meisher. The king had a brilliant idea. We can all do Avedas next to Meisher. Every time somebody comes to be Makachig and to get us in trouble for doing Avedas, Meisher's face is going to stare them down. So according to Ian Yaakov, the whole reason why the wicked king wanted to find Meisher is because this is like a get-out-of-jail-free zone. This is an area where you can do Avedas with impunity, where you can, without getting in any kind of trouble. So they were looking for it for that reason, just a really interesting... Uh, Iyun Yaakov. I have a little bit of time left, and with the time I have left, I want to share something very personal, and that is that um, years and years ago, when I was uh, a little kid, I was nine or ten, I was at a family function, one of these bar mitzvahs, uh, where like, they invite all the distant cousins and nephews, I don't know whose it was, but uh, somebody handed me a, a small hand-bound book, a brown hand-bound book, and he said to me that this was written by his grandfather, and that he and his children and nobody in his family knew how to read it because it's in Hebrew, and that presumably I was going to be the only one who could read it. And Baruch Hashem, I have brothers and sisters. I have a brother, I have a sister. But he, is, at the time I was the oldest, said, you're the only one who's ever going to have a shot at reading it in the family. It's now yours, and he gave me this book. And it sat on my shelf for years, and I, I wasn't able to read it. But at some point I figured out how to read it. It's, he's also my great-great-grandfather. My great-great-grandfather did write a sefer, and he passed it down to his son who gave it to his son, and that side of the family eventually passed it over to me. I'm from a daughter, but anyway, it's my great-great-grandfather wrote a sefer, a perish on the on the goddess of Shas. And he, has, he doesn't have much on Seter, I would quote him more often. But my favorite thing that he has in his entire Sefer is on this idea right here in Seter. I'd like to tell you what he says. His name was Avram Barmad. As far as I know, he lived in Philadelphia and he made soap for a living. He manufactured soap. But uh, my grandmother, Allah Shalom, tells me that her mem- only memories of him was that he was not much fun because the kids tried to play with him and he always had his nose in a Sefer. So he was a holy man. He learned a lot of Torah and his, and his, and his Chidusha Torah are brilliant. His ideas are really good. I'm in the middle of, uh, Mishra Rubin's been helping me publish some of them. We're working on publishing some of his work now. We got somebody to uh, write. Uh, anyway, I would like to share with you uh, something from my own family that is on this Leah de Ishes Kvodasei. He was also uh, a hothead, which, which is one of my favorite things about him. He was a bit of a hothead. So uh, a lot of his Chidush Torah are responses in the local Yiddish newspaper to Kaifrim who wrote things that he didn't like. So somebody wrote in the Yiddish newspaper that they believed with the science and the technology of the time that we could go out to that area, to the Gai Mulmeispur, and we could use the science of the day to find where Moshe is buried. And this very much upset my, 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 my great-great-grandfather, Avon Barmed. He was uh, very upset about this, and he wrote a long, scathing article in the Yiddish newspaper that this is Kfir Mamish and why, why this can't be right. But then he wrote this. 
He says that Meshe uh, Rabbeinu is shakal connected kal Yisrael. Meshe Rabbeinu equals the entire Jewish people. Uh, and therefore, when, uh, and he's the one who gives the Jewish people all of their hashba, both in Gashmias and in Ruchnias. And so, When Moshe Rabbeinu was buried, the Goyim, the enemies of the Jewish people, assumed that the Jewish people themselves were buried. And they assumed that that was the end of Moshe, and they assumed that was the end of the Jewish people. As a promise that every time the Jewish people appear to be completely buried in the society that they're in, that they'll rise up again because no one will ever find the burial place of the Jewish people. And he goes through the history. He says, we were in Mitzrayim, and they thought that the Jewish people were done for. Moshe rises up out of the ashes and takes them out of Mitzrayim. No one ever knew where the Yidin were buried. And then years later, we ended up involved with the Yavonim, he says, and we got so involved with Shakua in the Gashmias of the day and in the thrills of the day and the trends of the day. The people thought the Jewish people were finally buried once and for all. And what happens? We get redeemed. And finally, he says, we find ourselves in this generation right now where there's assimilation widespread. He's speaking from the early 1900s, maybe late 1800s, assimilation widespread in America, and it's getting darker and darker, and everybody thinks the Jewish people have finally been buried, but we have a promise. There will never be a time when the Jewish people will be buried. And the Jewish people will always rise up again and find their way, even if at the moment they seem to be buried. Well, thank you all very much.